0: Do you know what I did yesterday? No. Good. Or, well, soon you do. You know, I've been speaking about the incredibly yankee old database we used at work for a very long time. Yeah. Almost since the first day I started, I think. And I've been, been swearing quite a lot about it because it's a worse MongoDB, really. No transactions, no good things. And yesterday I turned it off. Yeah. So we have switched, officially switched to Postgres now. Migration complete. Yeah, cool, eh?
1: Nice. Uh, but you are using Postgres as a JSON database, right?
0: Yeah, because that's the logical next step. Hmm. Because in that way, we could, could compare all the data coming out of Rethink and Postgres and seeing that it was the same. So now when we only have one database, we can turn this uh, key value store into something more spicy so using columns using constraints and so on exciting yeah I have I have so much fun work to do in front of me it's absolutely amazing I'm very happy about it
1: yeah that that has to feel good I know rethink was not pulling its weight I, I dealt with it a little bit when I when I worked on that code base once or twice uh, I was probably the first one to kind of introduce some custom queries because I actually needed to ask the database to do some work and kind of bring me particular things and that had not been done before in that I'm sure they tried it and then realized they didn't want to anymore and then decided we only do gets
0: and puts yeah yeah. it it all kind of went downhill when we wanted to see what actually happened with the data to read it back out yes, we, we should never have done that yes accept that everything is ephemeral and we're not really sure about anything
1: right only ephemeral store
0: yeah yeah like delete everything now it's more more a pipe you can pour data into one end and it will fall out the other
1: unfortunately we don't know where it leads
0: no 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 that's this is our data pipe yeah (laughs) it's very fast incredibly fast it doesn't guarantee anything, but guarantees are so nineteen ninety.
1: Yeah. So, do you have a plan for how to work your way from like a, an untyped, unchecked, wild, um, like JSON shape and onwards to like an, I guess, normalized database?
0: Yeah. The idea is to add lots of columns and to put Ecto on top of this quite soon. Use Ecto migrations because I like the shape of them. Yeah, and uh, do that. One thing I've looked at today. This is probably an incredibly stupid question, but I n- do I need to add a schema for tables for Ecto to r- realize that they exist in the migrations?
1: Uh, no, uh, there is essentially no relationship between the schema and the migration.
0: Huh, I wonder why it doesn't find things then. Maybe the databases I haven't specified all the all the stuff properly. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, I think
1: all the shapes in your database, you have some JSON schemas for them, Not right? Not really.
0: We have some JSON schemas for the data coming into the system and then we do all kinds of stuff with the data, transform it left, right and center, and then we save it to the database. So The shape of the data is the shape of the data. It's, yeah.
1: Okay. Because if you had those JSON schemas, those would still be useful for applying that kind of on. So keeping some stricture on the JSON going into into the Postgres. But something you could do if you want to start adding validation or sort of transitioning over into more ecto uh, more of an ecto mindset is that you could essentially start porting your json schemas towards uh, ecto change sets so you could have the same validation logic in both essentially cool and i think it's an embedded schema you would want to do which is you could also do a schema less change set but in this case you actually want a schema That's what you want to establish. You want to establish a schema for your data structure. And uh, you could do that with an embedded schema, I believe it's called. But fundamentally, you can have a schema that's not connected to a data source that you can just apply on data.
0: This sounds amazing.
1: And then you can do things like change sets and getting, getting nice useful errors and nice error messages. And that way, I think you could build out your validation logic based off of Probably I would probably still use those JSON schemas as a starting point for for one thing, you could build in uh, JSON schemas as uh, a validation step in the in the chain set change set validation like a custom validation hmm. but you could also start porting uh, essential checks from uh, and that's probably the better approach like porting the uh, the things you want to
0: check for that's interesting.
1: So after a while, you could have you have like a full on Ecto change set for the different operations you want to perform on the data, and you have a you have schemas for for your data for your different tables, and then you actually have the shape for them. And if you eventually want to switch to no longer being embedded schemas, but rather like real realized uh, data database style schemas. Uh, you're a lot closer i think
0: cool that could be something yeah that sounds sounds like a good path forward yeah
1: cuz you can use echo change sets right on top of just a map essentially and say this part that's a string this part that should be a number that should be a map <laughs> and uh, and write a bunch of validation logic around the details
0: that sounds incredibly powerful
1: those are called schema less change sets, but in this case, you could also build a schema. That is, well, I guess a database less <laughs> schema.
0: <laughs> yeah. Has anyone tried to convert those schemas into open API definitions?
1: So there are libraries for open API, but there's not a ton of information for that in a schema. I think it's a little bit incomplete okay. for what you would want, and the like the public interface for your schema is not your schema. It is whatever controller and change set combination you end up using. Like your controller can do things that your schema might not allow. Your controller might not expose all the fields from your schema, that kind of deal. And If there's anything that's doing kind of automatic uh, modeling, and then that's your OpenAPI endpoint, that would be ASH framework, I think. Because there you have this whole define the resources, generate a bunch of endpoints from that. That's more ASH framework. I haven't tried ASH framework, but it seems like it seems a bit more Django in that regard.
0: Yeah, like uh, Django request framework feeling.
1: Yeah, REST framework, but yes. Yes,
0: Yes. REST, not request.
1: (laughs) The Django request framework.
0: Yeah, that would be something. I've I've been uh, implementing X request ID header now, so I'm all up in requests. Um, All about requests. Yeah, requests, requests. No responses, I suppose. Okay, we need a new song. Yeah, so databases cool and i'm all like so happy that i'm working with a database that has transactions we're not really using them but it has transactions that has some kind of mechanisms for us not stomping all over data left right and center and so on and that just feels so good to not stand on a burning skateboard that's flying in mac 2 anymore is just yeah it's good for the the For my heart, I think.
1: Helping your peace of mind a bit? (laughs) Yeah. Are you using like a hosted uh, Google Postgres then?
0: Yep. I haven't hosted a... I have only hosted Postgres myself when, oh, the stakes were high, but the budget was almost zero, so eh, then they'll... They get what they pay for. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I've actually probably hosted more Postgres than I've... Uh, used hosted ones. Uh, well, no, there's a mix. Uh, I've had clients that have definitely used hosted Postgres where I had nothing to do with ops, really. Um, but when I've been, like, at the product company I was at before I became self-employed, I definitely, we just, um, we just set up some servers and then ran Postgres on them and called it good. Did it work? And it was good oh, for, cool. like, five years or whatever. And then killed the product so oh
0: yeah that's that's all it has to be yeah
1: we we had to do some performance adjustments with like connection pool size and stuff like how many workers and how much memory is okay and whatever there was a yeah a few defaults that were a bit low but we essentially never had postgres problems i think once the physical node had an issue and restarted and then it might have been the case that I had to do some pet the server kind of nicely a little bit before I started it back up again. So it, it, I think there was something with uh, with like checking broken um, uh, or like uh, recovering from the write-ahead log. I think there was something around that. Like, Wow. It could also have been that the file system went read-only, but it, there was something something underlying in the kind of virtual server that... Uh, shat the bed and like I've had to do a little bit of recovery at one point I think but that's once in a five-year period
0: yeah that's that's except some uptime (laughs) yeah yeah it's
1: oh yeah we ran a single node so it wasn't it wasn't even replicated or anything (laughs) you're brave well I mean we we ran I think we ran nightly backups and if our customers Ha, like, if we had had a catastrophic failure and, like, oh, almost maximal bad luck, we would have lost, like, 20 hours of data. But we would have lost, essentially, one day of data. And our customers have, would have said, damn, that sucks. We lost some good posts we did. We lost some, pic- some pictures of the kids that we sent to parents. Uh, uh, we lost a, a little bit of documentation. It would suck, but they would like shrug and move on because it would have been one day. It would not have been uh, like a week or a month unless it was the very wrongest day, then it could have been a problem where they, sometimes they had periods of time where they just shoved documentation into the thing and falling over on that particular day and losing data would have been bad. Like that, that could have cost them, well it would stay still be around a day's work <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah yeah so in some regard like the, that's the that's the worst case there but when i've been looking at postgres hosting recently i've seen that uh, some of the better hosts have point in time restoration down to a minute resolution nice because they continuously stream to to other environments yeah and like the point in time restores doesn't seem particularly complicated to do in
0: Postgres. I have no idea.
1: Well, I've looked. I looked at it, and it's like, yeah, okay. This is a. I think it's essentially a replication scheme, uh, but it is like, uh, from what I gather, it's a supported setup where where you just set it up so that you stream the logs to a different place and, um. I think you have some degree of like uh, confirmation that uh, they have been they have been streamed off which means you can put them in storage and then at, if need be you can clone a new um, a new database from that essentially cool which is significantly better than needing to run p- pg restore frequently yeah or like Most providers seem to do both snapshots and if they do a point in time, they also do a point in time. But snapshots are essentially what we were doing with... But we were running pg-restore nightly. Uh, or, yeah, pg-dump nightly.
0: Yeah. Was that the thing that used Git for saving everything? Or maybe that was a very early prototype.
1: No, I don't think we've done Git. Git for saving database backups. Ah,
0: then it must have been somewhere somewhere else. I thought it was uh, absolutely genius. Just commit the the SQL file and Git handles all the uh, deduplication and so on.
1: I don't think that was us. Ah, then it was
0: someone else. It was cool.
1: But it sounds familiar. Hmm. <laughs> Did I do that at one point? I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't take credit, but I don't think... I- I wonder if that was earlier.
0: It was probably incredibly early. Mm. Stupid as a fox. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that was during... This sounds like something from the agency days.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So it it could very well have been the same product, but earlier.
0: Yes, in earlier...
1: I had forgotten (laughs) this was a thing at all, but it sounds very... In an earlier
0: incantation of the product. Someday, someday I'll have to take a look at how 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 good of an idea it is. But it's it feels good. It has a, a very nice brutalistic feel to it.
1: Yeah. So I don't think it diffs that nicely, probably. But it's quite fun to be able to go through the commit history of your database yeah. backup. Uh But in that regard, I think uh, shipping off your write ahead log continuously is better. Uh, because then you yes. then you really do get granular diffs continuously of
0: absolutely how it changes. Gonna save them in Git. <laughs> so, <laughs> as a as a side note on that one, in the the good old rethink days, uh, we had a JavaScript script. Yeah. Okay. That run uh, ran each night and exported the whole database, or the parts of the database that was interesting from an olap point of view is the data thing and um, then shoving it into bigquery so pick out all the all the exciting data shove it into bigquery uh, then sql happens and out data you can be data driven with cool and this is done nightly and with the whole database so it's one of those solutions that's really good for the first year or three and when you're starting to have gigabytes of data it becomes a bit more involved and one of my colleagues came up with a brilliant idea to use the it's not really the right headlog but it's some kind of publication functionality in postgres and then uh, there's support in gcp to send this to a BigQuery query data set uh, mm. so you get in real time, almost, depending on how much you're willing to pay, streaming of the data from your database to a big query uh, dataset.
1: I'm guessing it's logical replication.
0: Sounds familiar. Yes, yeah. but that that's a layer above the well, right?
1: So it's essentially it's essentially using the replication functionality for. I think it's essentially sending the log, but it's it's something akin to that. And you can interpret that. Um, I've used CanaFile, which is an Elixir library that can... So you do create publication and then it starts to um, receive messages about, well, whatever whatever tables you define that you should get uh, information from. And uh, that's a nice way of running so-called change data capture. I was going to implement some stuff with that uh, with the current client project because we have things like search indexing that and caching that would benefit immensely from just getting one signal this entity has changed in the database it doesn't matter who changed it we want to invalidate the cache or we want to re uh, reindex that entity. Yep. The big challenge I had with it was that I also had tests that would then uh, verify that this was working, and I needed those tests to work, like in GitLab CI. Oh, and the GitLab CI Postgres does not by default have logical replication switched on, if I recall correctly. Ah, so I tried to do it with um, with the uh Postgres images because those have logical replication on. But if you started to try to set up with a custom postgres under uh, gitlab it got complicated they have good support for for like the default postgres but i think they've done something to it to to make it nice yeah so uh, i ended up not shipping that branch because i couldn't test it properly which was annoying because it's really really nice functionality
0: yeah it sounds painful in that kind of devops integration kind of way
1: yeah it's like it would not be a problem on the servers because I know how to switch on logical replication on uh, the fly. Postgres we're using, and yeah. it would not be a problem in development because I know how to fix that. It would only be a problem in CI. Yeah, I,
0: I <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> ah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, CI isn't there yet.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, logical replication is super cool. You can do a ton of fun stuff with it. I'm not surprised. There's, um, well, I'm kind of surprised I didn't know Google were that cool anymore. But it's cool that they can stream data from your database into BigQuery in that way. That's a good mechanism for it, I think.
0: Yeah, it's like the, it's on the perfect level. So that's really good, uh, and it has um backfilling and all of that good stuff. So. Uh, yeah i was really impressed by it um it also took way too long to realize how to make everything fit together because i don't know why but there's always something with the gcp documentation that's confusing or weird or almost what you need to know and so on so
1: because it's a major cloud platform and that's how they work
0: yeah i'm i'm it fascinates me do you know of any is fly.io do they have documentation that you don't become actively sad from
1: the documentation is pretty decent um cool what usually makes me sad is that the platform feels still a bit flaky and we have problems off and on with that oh uh, so and also like their their postgres is not a proper hosted offering you're kind of on your own they oh set up a nice kind of default config for you and they have a bunch of convenience functions for it but uh, it is not hosted in the way that they will f- fix your stuff uh, which is actually probably not what you want so uh, they are looking at creating a real hosted postgres because they realize that's what people think they're selling <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah fly is a bit yeah. of a special special sauce company there. They do some very cool things. Uh, I like the product overall right now. Uh, like I, I wouldn't re-choose it, but it, it is saving us a bunch of time, but it is giving me a little bit of an ulcer at the same
0: time. Oh no, so, you don't need more of those.
1: No, I don't actually get an, get an ulcer, but uh, I, I'm not sort of calm and confident about the hosting, which is what I'd prefer ah, to yes. be. I would like yes. the sense of this could fall over to... To be an exception,
0: yeah, yeah. I I have a very calm feeling about GCP for some reason. It's yeah.
1: I mean, they're they're big enough that like, oh, your your node fell over. We're starting a new node. Here's your new node. You never noticed. <laughs>
0: <That's> <laughs> exactly.
1: That level. I assume it's that level.
0: Yeah, and we're only hosting our machines in places where there generally are no earthquakes nor. Huge store. Hmm. We maybe should move our <laughs> location to some even more boring place. Uh. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, we'll have to monitor the sea levels. Okay. Netherlands. Belgium. Okay. I also saw that
1: Electric Sequel, who I've worked with a little bit, yep. that they, they did a, their show Hacker News very recently. So they've... They've adjusted their kind of pitch a little bit. So now Postgres is taking even more responsibilities. So instead of having like a custom migration language and stuff, they are using Postgres as the kind of database source of truth. So you use your normal migration tooling for Postgres, whatever you like. And then there's a couple of special things you can throw into your migrations. So something, something electrify, like there there are a few special sauce commands that uh, if you use those and you've hooked up, I believe the setup is that you run their sync service and you set up logical replication from your Postgres to their sync service. When you run these weirdo special migrations, that is picked up by the sync service as special sauce. And from there, uh, you have... Like I am not sure I have the full picture uh of, of the migration story, but I know they've shifted more of that to Postgres, at least. It used to be that everything was the sync service. But it's still fundamentally like you can run one or more Postgres off of the sync service, as far as I know. And also any number of SQLites with WebSockets.
0: That's that's cursed and wonderful. Yeah, Uh, and they
1: are building out a bunch of support for like partial syncing uh, with shapes. So let's say you have like your main database is all your customers, but every user should just have access to their customer. Yep. So when not user auths, uh, that might indicate a shape that they are allowed to sync down, so they don't get the whole the whole data set. But it could also be that the client requests like oh i want all the to-do items i want all the categories i want all the tags and i want these two projects but i don't want all the projects because that's a lot of data or maybe i just want to fetch like um, these particular pieces so you have like a query language um, that lets you make sure that the the stuff you keep in sync is only the relevant subset of of all the data that you have access to or in some cases uh only the data you actually have access to so they're, they're building out that like how do you use this in practice how do you do local first safely that kind of deal uh, it's a, exciting yeah it's it's a really cool project i'm kinda of keen to to try to build some kind of basic stuff with it um and just do like a simple app that Talk SQLite locally and syncs the entire database um, Mm. and see see what kind of fun shenanigans one could get up to. Right now, I think the easiest way to build with it is to use their Node clients if you're doing the SQLite stuff. So I would probably end up doing something with React Native if that's the case, and I'm not sure I want to go there. There might also be a Dart client. If that's up to date, I might learn Flutter.
0: (laughs) That sounds fun. Or mainly, I just want you to learn Flutter, so I can ask all the stupid questions, Mm. like, is it worth it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm curious as well. I think Flutter is probably nicer and less of a churn fest than than React Native. Yeah, but I know they like they have first, like their first target is a TypeScript client because that's uh, that's a lot of the market.
0: Yeah, some lingua franca.
1: And I'm talking to them about doing doing some more fun stuff. So
0: like they're they're a fun
1: crew. They they're really trying to push something interesting in the realm of local first. Like they're not trying to do the whole peer to peer thing. Mm-hmm. Like not zero trust or no server at all kind of deals. Uh rather they are trying to do local first with uh with a server available, which simplifies a lot of the gymnastics a fair bit it also means that you can use tools that you are already familiar with and that work well like sqlite and postgres and i rather like that it's it's like a pragmatic middle path but you get these like stupid low latencies because you're just writing locally and then it gets synced up later
0: so good uh how are they handling conflicts
1: so crdts my man <laughs> Damn. yeah so they do require you to have a little bit of an mostly additive design uh migration wise you can't remove i don't think they support removing fields mhm you can of course kind of stop using a field deprecate a field uh but yeah the data mig- destructive data migrations are of course difficult i believe they're exploring like what subset of deletions are actually fine (laughs) that Mm. kind of thing but they're they have uh, they're serious about like solid theory so um, yeah typically i would say you have the constraint of your data data structure needs to be grow only (laughs) yeah Uh, and then there's also like you can't do self-incrementing primer key because that won't work in a distributed use, uh like an offline distributed case. So you typically need to use UIDs. Hmm? Because you can't really reject rights unless they are unless they are faulty. You should be like rejecting rights is data loss. Uh, indeed. Yeah. So once something has been written to a local client, it should be it should be good it needs to ideally be good to ship to the server. Yep. Otherwise, you're in a bad state, uh, and that's that's kind of what they've what they built out, and that's what the CRDT stuff uh, resolves.
0: That sounds lovely. I'm looking forward to. I don't know if I have have the bandwidth to check it out, but I'm looking forward to you checking it out. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, each of
1: each of your vehicles could have a SQLite on their app and then uh, that could be kept up to date with uh, with everything that's going on now but like the premise the premise of the system is interesting in a similar way to like what phoenix live view is interesting yes phoenix live view takes the actor model and pushes it as close to the browser as possible with the tech that the beam offers if we had well, if Firefly completes the the Beam-ish system for um, WebAssembly, so Elixir to WebAssembly, Erlang to WebAssembly, if that completes, they can actually start looking at pushing LiveView further into the client with WebAssembly. You could potentially push Elixir Logic into the client. That's, that's where that could take you. But uh, right now, that's not feasible, so they kind of they kind of push it as far as they can and then stop. But that also means you have already eliminated the need for specifying contracts between client and server with regards to just communicating about the state of the view.
0: That saves so much time. It's just silly.
1: Yeah, it does. And this similarly removes the need to communicate about how are we syncing the data, to the cloud, uh, to the server. Yeah. No, no. Work with your database locally. Work, just work with your SQL database. It's going to be fine.
0: <laughs> and they're actually not a burning dog in a burning house yeah, yeah, yeah. with a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is
1: actually probably fine, unless it would be very embarrassing if they missed something. Oh, oh, crap. That turns out that part doesn't work at all no, we miscalculated. Oops, Uh, sorry. Oops. It turns out, like, then they talk to some of their buddies in the CRDT space, and they're like, let me check my paper. Oops. (laughs) Turns out CRDTs don't work at all.
0: (laughs) Sorry, everyone. We need to to get back to the drawing table. Yeah, turns out there are conflicts in these conflict-free data types. (laughs) It turns
1: out they're not replicated at all. Yeah,
0: you know, it's not the lack of bandwidth that don't want, that makes me not want to try new databases. It's because I just turned off the last new database this place used. Yeah. So so I'm a bit burned when it comes to databases. I I only want to interact with Postgres for the next I was going to say 10 years but let's give it a year.
1: Yeah, and Like you have to consider SQLite at different points. Come
0: on, absolutely, it's
1: a cool database. Yeah, but what else do you need? Like some Postgres, some SQLite, then you could go
0: DuckDB, I think.
1: What DB? DuckDB. Oh, columnar store for uh, SQLite, right? Uh,
0: Yeah, so you can do the the fancy OLAP numbers business data driven's.
1: You can do numbers to it.
0: Synergies. I've been meaning to try
1: ClickHouse.
0: Have you tried ClickHouse at any point? No, I heard an interview uh, on the Developer Voices podcast, which I wholeheartedly recommend, which is about ClickHouse and uh, numbers databases. So uh, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, ClickHouse seems like it's the it's the boring kind of boring Postgres-y thing for like an analytical di- database or that kind of column store cool i don't know if it's if it's quite as boring as uh, postgres i don't follow the development of ClickHouse, but i know plausible analytics picked it for to ensure that they they got the throughput they wanted nice and they seem happy uh, super happy with that choice actually i i don't know if you've le- listened to fathom analytics podcast
0: a long time ago i think
1: so i had a little bit of a hard time like i don't even remember what what's his name he's the company of one guy that's one of the people in that pod uh, and the other one i think is called jack ellis mm-hmm. and he's he's big in laravel and they do fathom and they're kind of high profile and i listened to them talk about the big upgrades they were going to do and bringing in like an expert to help them build out like this massive Elasticsearch cluster because they were going to do like it was their new analytics stuff so that they had all this performance and could answer all these complicated questions and my thinking was oh wait you are migrating to Elasticsearch this was perhaps two years ago or something
0: but tell tell, tell me the scoop about Elasticsearch I've been living under a rock with regards to it but I never want to host it so that's
1: yeah <laughs> well that that's the first thing you don't want to host Elasticsearch indeed no it is a honking, bothersome JVM based database. It is a very competent search database. I think most sort of smaller scale devs can use something like Miley Search, Maily Search, whatever it's called, instead, and probably get uh, 90% of the capabilities for like a tenth of the cost and uh, less headache. But it does like have clustering and uh, you can do a lot of scale with it. It's based on Apache Solar and Lucene or rather yeah. it's based on Lucene, which is the same thing Apache Solar used. And it's like this search indexing and uh, querying thingy. I don't know which, which what kind of layer Lucene is, but... Fundamentally, these are search-oriented databases, like the document stores, and you can um, build out indexing and percolating and whatever they call it. Uh, but essentially, it's like you build up cool indexes for being able to do text search or like aggregate data. I remember writing queries for cardinality and stuff when we were using Elasticsearch in one of the education products we were doing. Because these are the types of queries that Postgres or MySQL are really, really bad at. Yeah. Like, okay, I enter a search term, I get a tree of categories, and I see, like, oh, I have 20 of these, of this, I have. Ten of in this category I have blah 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 blah. And then you check a few categories and suddenly your numbers are supposed to drop because like you're you're pinning down a subset. Um, that kind of thing is, is a pain to do in SQL. And like the indexes are not right for it. You can probably build a lot of capability for that in Postgres because Postgres has so much feature space.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think f- I think there are some indexes that aren't complete garbage when it comes to this for postgres but i haven't had the reason to look into it so yeah so i've done some
1: text search work with postgres and it is absolutely capable it can um, like free text search there's a decent set of tools that you can apply to but yeah uh, the, like these specialized databases are for fundamentally they I think they were built for search, but they turned into also or turned out to also be quite useful for analytics or analytics style workloads. But if you mm-hmm. start shipping like your your logs or traces into Elasticsearch, you're gonna have a bad time because they like oof, that's gonna grow fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think like I would be surprised if they don't have child massive challenges with their like Elasticsearch setup. Maybe, maybe they're just paying out the nose for a good setup, like a powerful setup, and uh, it's fine. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure they're plenty profitable already. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the way Plausible went about it, selecting ClickHouse, I think, is a very, very high-powered choice where you get a lot of raw performance for doing aggregation of numbers and that kind of deal Uh, like a column store should be significantly better at that from what i understand of the theory
0: nice Uh, we were hoping to use uh, honeycomb for looking at traces and all of that good stuff to actually know what stuff do Yep. and so we we try to integrate with open telemetry and ran into a brick wall again and again. I don't know why, but I seem to be completely incompatible with Open OpenTelemetry. Hmm. So, yeah. You also
1: don't have Phoenix or Ecto, and I know Phoenix and Ecto have libraries for integrating OTEL. Indeed. I haven't tried them Yeah, uh, but
0: Me neither. I think I tried to run those, to start this... Thing to watch cowboy or something
1: yeah all oh right there's uh, a there is one for cowboy as well
0: yeah so let's assume I'm never going to use open telemetry where do I store my traces <laughs> to, to have them watchable <laughs> and searchable what's your your opinion um, on
1: that? well I think open telemetry is still kind of the typical way to ship traces
0: I was afraid you were going to say that
1: I haven't Futsed around with traces outside of New Relic in a really long time. Or rather, like I, I used New Relic two ages ago. Um, and back then, OTEL was not quite a thing. Mm-hmm. So you download the uh, New Relic Python library and then it monkey-patched a bunch <laughs> of stuff. And then you got your oh, yeah. your APM, like application performance monitoring. Yeah. And I think similarly, like, New Relic probably has an Elixir library or someone has built out an Elixir library for New Relic. And I'm sure that uses... I would not be surprised if New Relic is now also Otel. So I think figuring out Otel is still the right thing. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. I saw a show Hacker News for something. What was it? HyperDX or something, which was supposed to be Datadog-ish Open source, self-hostable, and Datadog is a nice way to deal with logs and uh, logs and uh, observability metrics and uh, traces, I believe as well. But I think I know they also discussed OTel in that thread, so I think that's the way you ship ship your traces.
0: Okay, maybe maybe we can uh, build something that takes telemetry data and uh, uses OTel to ship stuff preferably in go because that's what everything cloud first should be built in right
1: uh pretty much yeah i think so that or c plus plus because it gotta go fast or rust because it gotta go fast yes